0: So, friends, for the past several weeks now, we have been uh, braving the wilderness with our Israelite friends as they wander in Exodus Um, from Egypt to Sinai. They're kind of moving from campsite to campsite, and we too have been in this wilderness season of sorts, wandering and and braving the unknown, the uncertain times that we're in. And and last week, when we left the Israelites, we left them right at the the base of, of Mount Sinai, the place that is that, that most intimate encounter with God that Moses and, and this generation of Israelites will have. We, we heard where Moses was pulled into, drawn into the thick darkness where God was. The deep and, and mysterious and uncertain unknown where God was beckoning him in. And as Moses is called up onto the mountain and and spends 40 days with God, receiving what will come down with the Ten Commandments and the law, Uh, the people at the base of Mount Sinai get a little restless. They find themselves a a little adrift. They're wondering, did Moses uh, die up there and all the thunder and the lightning and the earthquake and the fire? Maybe he's not coming back down. Maybe he's abandoned us. What are we to do? And so they try to take matters into their own hands. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up with me to the book of Exodus. We'll be reading from chapter 32 this morning, verses 1 through 14. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron, and they said to him, Come, make for us gods who shall go before us. as for this Moses... The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Well, take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel who brought you out from the house of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast day to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to revel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now leave me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them, and and of you, Moses, of you I will make a great nation. Moses implored, Moses begged the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, well, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. O God, turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by yourself, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all the land, that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Or, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. You notice the charge that God levels uh, to Moses against the people? He says, I have seen how (laughs) stiff-necked This people is which good Hebrew interpreters tell me that that it's like so I've seen how how headstrong or, or how obstinate or how hard-headed this people is how how stiff necked these people are. And it got me thinking have you ever woken up and you've slept just right or, or just wrong the night before and your neck is stiff as can be. Or, or maybe you've been out doing some kind of physical activity and you've twisted or you've turned your neck such that you wake up the next morning and it's stiff. And you know what happens when you have a stiff neck is is you can't do much but look right in front of you. To to turn too far to the left or to the right or or let alone look behind you is is nearly impossible. Really, the more I got to think about it, I thought, you know, that is what has been happening time after time, month after month with the people of Israel as they wander in the wilderness. They have continuously forgotten how to look behind them, how to remember All the ways that God has been with them and all the ways that God has been for them. Their their necks have become increasingly stiff as they grow unable to look back and remember just how faithful God has been for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Ricky, I grew up with this story in the Cecil B. DeMille era. Now, some of you are too young to remember that era, but these are the great epic Bible movies made in the 50s and 60s, and and the greatest story ever told kind of paints the picture of these stiff-necked people as as people gone amok, right? Moses is up there with God, and the people are just wreaking havoc. They have gone wild. But I don't, when I read it this time, I read it with a fresh sense of understanding. Maybe it's because we've been in this wilderness time ourselves. I don't know, but for some reason, I didn't see them as a people gone amok. I saw them as a people lost, vulnerable confused. They had been in the previous chapters, they had been in their camp. Moses put a tent outside the camp. And Moses would get up every morning and walk past all of their tents and they would come to the door and watch him pass by. And he would enter the tent at the edge of town and then this pillar of smoke or a cloud would descend upon that tent and the Israelites would watch this. It became like their ritual, their daily prayers, their acknowledgement of a very tangible God that appeared with Moses in the tent at the edge of town. And when Moses goes up that mountain, and he's been up there for 40 days, they don't have, their rituals are gone. Moses doesn't walk by in the morning to meet God at the tent at the edge of town. Moses is up on the mountain where the, where the um, lightning and thunder is. And after 40 days and 40 nights, they're beginning to wonder if Moses is even alive. And so they turn to desiring something tangible. A tangible God that they saw in the pillar of a smoke at the edge of town now becomes a golden calf. Did they get it wrong? Yes. Because here's what happened to them. They began to rely on themselves. They became self-reliant. They said, let us make let us make this God. They made that God, and they even the author even says these are your gods, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It was just that they forgot. They so forgot in their time of trouble. Yeah.
0: You now, Cassius, as much as the story is about the people at the base mm-hmm. of the mountain and their their hoopla with the calf and worshiping yes. the calf, I, I think. It's also about Moses. It's the other half of the story that that we so uh, rarely consider. Think about how different this Moses is from the young man who walked across the burning bush months and years ago. (laughs) Moses, way back when he came to the bush and God called him and said, Moses, I have set you aside. I have appointed you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses went through a dozen and a half excuses about why he wasn't prepared, why he wasn't equipped, why he wasn't good enough to do what God was calling him to do. It was Moses the reluctant, Moses who thought himself incapable, Moses who thought that he did not have the gifts that God believed he did or promised to give him. And finally, when he runs out of excuses, he just says, God, pick someone else. It's not me. Find someone else to do this job. And what's God's promise to Moses? I will be with you. I will be with you. And you see, the intimacy with God has, has grown for Moses. As, as he has, the, as all David says, the, the chutzpah to, to challenge the Lord of the universe about faithfulness. Or we see that Moses from the last several weeks, every time he is wandering with the Israelites in the wilderness and they grow hungry or thirsty or thirsty again, and they murmur and they complain and they quarrel even with Moses. And and Moses says, God, why have you given me these people? God, your people are at it again. God, these people are about to stone me. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to make it out alive. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not the leader you think I am. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough, God. What do we see here in, in this story is that not only has Moses grown in, in his depth of his love and his intimacy and his relationship with God, but, but he's also really deeply grown in his love for the people, mm-hmm. such that he doesn't say, God, your people, but God, our people, God, my people. This is, I think, also a story about the, the, the growth and maturity of faith that we see in Moses. Yeah. Right, this is the Moses who will lead the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land. And when they decide they don't want to go in, sticks with them for the next 40 years. This is the Moses who will lead the people through their 40 years through a generation of wandering and remain not only faithful to them, but remain faithful to God and help bring the two ever closer together in this picture of of deepening and maturing and growth and faith.
1: Yeah, So, so as I unpack that a little bit, Ricky, uh, I think about the components of faith. So, so as you mentioned, Moses is confronted with God and the first response is to, is to obey because this God is awesome and powerful. Not because Moses has an intimate relationship. So he starts out just saying, okay, I'll do what you need me to do but a little bit uncertain. But by the time we get to this scripture, it's interesting to me, it says, but Moses implored the Lord, his God. By this time, four months later, maybe even as much as a year, God is not that awesome God that asks things of Moses. God is his God. He has become intimately involved with God. And the cool thing about it is he understands God's character. He sees God's heart. He not only sees God's heart, he adopts God's heart as his own heart. And in that, he is willing to even school God when God says, gee, I think I'm going to start over and give you a new people. He falls in love with God to the point where he can say, wait a minute, God, that's not who you are. So he falls in love with God, but the most interesting thing is that he also falls in love with God what God falls in love with, right? And that's the people, because he recognizes God's character. God's character is that he loves these people so much that he is willing to stand with them through thick and thin and be their God. So Moses says to God, turn your anger. And when God says, but wait a minute, Moses... I can make you a powerful person. I can make you the next Abraham. Moses says, that's not what it's about, God. Moses gives up his position of privilege and power because he loves what God loves and that is the people. And he implores God to change God's mind and become faithful unto the people, mm-hmm. right? It's all about loving God and loving our neighbor and I think we've heard that before, right? It
0: sounds a little familiar, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yes. I think that's what we see here in Moses is, is this picture, this this model that we are called to emulate, that we are called to strive towards of what, what a deep and maturing faith looks like. Is is this faith that that is uh, two halves, that is two-sided, that is a, a deep and intimate love for God and a deep and intimate, as Jesus says, love for our neighbor just as we love ourselves. And in such a way that the two are tied so closely together that you almost can't distinguish one from the other. You can't have one without the other. In Good Wesleyan terms we say our faith is both about, both about our, our personal piety, our, our intimacy of our relationship with God, and Our social holiness, our love for our neighbor, our advocacy for our neighbor, our speaking up and our speaking out for our neighbor, interceding on behalf of our neighbor even to the Lord of the universe. Standing up to love God so deeply that that love is poured out in our love for our neighbor and to love our neighbor so deeply that that draws us even closer into intimacy and nearness with God. I think what we see in Moses here is this this picture that we are called to of what it looks like in the wilderness to be formed in faith. For our faith to deepen, for our faith to grow, for our faith to mature. To strive towards a a faith that is flexible enough to work out the stiffness in our neck and and look back and, and remember who we were when God first picked us up to begin with. To remember how God has been faithful with us along the way. To remember the God who never forsakes or abandons us. To remember the God whose own faithfulness is the model for our faithfulness. I think we're called to strive towards a faith that is resilient enough to stay the course. Especially in those uncertain, in those in-between, in those wilderness times where we may not know exactly what lies ahead of us where we may be stuck up on a mountain for 40 days and unsure what lies next, but resilient enough to stay the course and grow in our love for God and our love for our neighbor. And a faith deep enough to forgo our own personal gain for the sake and for the love of our community. To realize that this is not just about me, but this is about us and the community of God's people that God has called us to be. I think what we find in Moses, is that the wilderness can be a time of, of deep formation. In these months which Moses has traveled alongside his people, in these months in which Moses and the people have been led by none other than God, he's found that the deeper his relationship with God, the more intimate his personal relationship with God, the deeper he comes to love his neighbors. We were about ready to stone him a couple chapters ago. We were quarreling and complaining and murmuring with him the last several weeks. What we find in Moses, I believe, is the faith that we are all called to. Deep, growing, a mature faith. Our love for God is so tied up in our love for our neighbor. We cannot let
1: anyone go. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.